Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of all the areas where digital technology intersects with our everyday lives these days, the nexus points are the smartphones in our pockets and the internet routers in our homes and offices. No Savanian understands that better than Sam Cook, whose IT and internet services firm, Seimitsu, is propelling our area into the fiber optic and wireless future. Cook is our guest on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast, presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. digital team at savannahnow.com. This is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Bremer, opinion editor and host of the Difference Makers podcast, as well as its sister podcast, The Commute. Joining me for this episode is Sam Cook, who started an IT services company before the dawn of the digital age and has grown it into a under-the-radar powerhouse with its own fiber optic network. Cook is our latest Difference Maker. Here's the interview. Pleased to be joined on today's Difference Makers by Sam Cook, who is the leader, CEO, founder of Seimitsu, which is a Savannah-based IT uh, services provider and also does internet services provider using fiber optic, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, you're the only ones that are doing fiber in town. Well, actually, there's a uh, uh, more, you know, so Comcast, you know, they, okay, they uh, are building fiber, okay. uh, and of course, the hardware. Right. AT&T, okay. you know, so, but we are one of the only local, local locally owned, privately right. held company that is actually digging up the streets of Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might not want to tell people that now. Well, yeah, we are. We are 100% <laughs> underground. So, you know, since we're in a hurricane zone, yeah. I think that's the best route. Right? That's right. So, that's right. Instead of being out on the corners. But I'm excited to have Sam here because when we started Difference Makers three years ago, we wanted to make it a mix of not just elected leaders and, and community people and nonprofits and school leaders and, and everybody. We wanted to have a steady rotation of business leaders. We kind of gotten away from that lately. So when I was uh, given the opportunity to talk to Sam, I was glad to have him here. And as most listeners know, I'm a bit of a, a bit wonky when it comes to business. So I'm looking forward to talking to Sam. But before we get into the business of fiber optic and IT, let's get to know you a little bit better. I mean, I think uh, most people who have met you know that uh, that you you don't look at it, look like the typical Savannian, right? right. You were right. you are uh, first first generation, or you first were an immigrant? Generation. Okay, first yeah. generation. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I was I was born in uh, uh, Lotus Island, uh, south of uh, in Japan, mm-hmm. about 120 miles northeast of Okinawa. Uh, so I was born in 1958. So you know, I'm kind of revealing my age just a little bit. But, <laughs> I am a product of a Japanese school system uh-huh. all the way up to seventh grade, uh-huh. which I really enjoyed. Uh-huh. Um, so my mother married American GI during the Vietnam era, okay. Okay, which is the reason why I'm here. Right. So I came over in 1971. Uh-huh. 
And, and I am, you know, I went to uh, local schools. Right. Wilder right. Journey High School when, you know, when, when that was still around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually kind of, uh, then I went to uh, Jenkins, right? I was a lawyer. Okay. Uh, left, uh, I guess I, uh, I took GED and, and got out, uh, joined mm-hmm. the Air Force, loved mm-hmm. it. All right. I loved military life. I wanted to go back to Japan, but, you know, they would never send me there. Uh, oh, the, the, the Air Force was Air Force, yeah. So <laughs> I was kind of, you know, several thousand miles short. So, uh, so I ended up in a little uh, a town called Abilene, Texas, uh-huh. by a cell phone space. It has C-130s, right? A C-130 was made in uh, Lockheed, Martin, in Georgia, and B-52s. I enjoyed it. A lot of friends. Uh, but I only put uh, four years in. You know, and I got out, uh, but I try to get back in. Yeah. Uh, I loved it so much and missed it. But I got a job at Gulfstream pulling wires on Gulfstream 3s. Uh, right. I really enjoyed aircraft. So right. I guess about a year, maybe 18 months later, I was uh, uh, I joined their avionics uh, service center. Uh-huh. That was great. Uh, again, again, once I love aircraft. Uh, so, you know, I guess fast, uh, fast forward. By 1984, you know, we I started the started your own business. Yeah, yeah, you know, started the, started my business, and uh, because I think Savannah needed it, you know, uh, you know, computers were becoming a little bit more of a personal hobby and all that. So I asked my supervisor at Gulfstream, you know, just put me on graveyard shift. Mm-hmm. Right, nobody mm-hmm. wanted it, so but I, I took it. So my my wife and I we started it, and again in 1984. And it's just a computer repair and a hobby, you know, repairing, you know, just electronics and things like that. Uh, so anyway. Growing up uh, as a small child in, in Japan, it can, most of us are, I'm sure most people are curious. What's it like? Is it, you know, is it, can you compare and contrast? I don't want to say it was very, very rigid or anything mm-hmm. like that, but the school system was absolutely great. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, their curriculum is, I think, you know, I don't want to say superior, but I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. So you could just imagine in uh, fourth and fifth grade, I knew how to make electric motor. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. And so they'll teach you on that, right? So uh, I learned how to cook, uh-huh. right? Uh, like uh, uh, miso soup and rice, okay, right. in right. fifth grade. Right. And, and we served that to our students. <laughs> to our peers yeah so that was a that, that was a good thing so yeah japanese school system was great yeah, yeah. and uh, you know family units are pretty tight too. that's right yeah that's it's, right. it's a great place uh recreationally riding around on your bike going to the beach what what was what was childhood outside of school like uh mostly i was uh, you know after school activities uh you know japanese school system uh, we, we went to school six days a week way back you know, okay in the 70s so we had, uh, I was in a band, right? uh-huh. so I, I played trumpet in, uh, in Japan. So, I mean, you know, six days of that, you know, so you have your regular curriculum during the week. Uh, then in the afternoons, you know, to, to basically sundown, you know, we do all the you know, extra activities. So outside of that, you know, uh, since I was in a truck island, so I would go to the beach you right. know, and sampling, right. you know, collecting shells. Go fishing and things like that. You right. Know? So yeah, it was it was a great place. Right. Culture shock when you moved to the states. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, the 
all the cars, <laughs> right? Uh, just the fact that everyone kind of looked different, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And uh, food. And English was spoken in your house, so I assume that you spoke English just yeah, fine. Actually, my mother, right? Mother's, you know, of course, my mother was the only one. I didn't speak English at that point. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you know had, had to learn. You know, Jeff, you know, English was not my, uh, obviously, my uh, you know, native language. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, funny thing is when you're learning, you learn all the bad words. <laughs> so <laughs> when I went to school, you know, you know, I was practicing some of those bad words. I'm and, sure. You know, I got in trouble for it. You know, but, you know, I was trying to tell my teacher that, uh, look, I was just trying to learn, you know, learn English. That's right. That's right. You, know? you learn from so, your peers, right? So when you're in Japan, you, you mentioned that you knew how to build an electric motor early on, obviously working with working with your hands and, and doing some engineering type things. is There was an interest there, right? Sure, was that uh, what? Yeah, I, I consider myself, you know, I think uh, I discovered myself that I was going to be a fixer. You know, in the beginning. Uh, so, you, you know, we were not very wealthy. You know, so I was raised by my grandfather. So I, I was, you, you know, uh, rummage through a lot of things and, you know, I'll find things and uh, I will disassemble it, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what ticked. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know from early on, I was going to be a fixer mm-hmm. or, you know, or engineer. Right. You know, so yeah. When you got into the middle school and high school here, uh, did that kind of grow or did you just, did you kind of really kind of gravitate, gravitate, gravitate that direction once you got out of school? Well, actually, uh, at Jenkins, uh, I, I don't quite remember middle school, okay, junior high, right. but uh, in high school, we had a very good program, the shop in the show, right? right? So, yeah, we did that in junior high school, too. So, uh, we shop and all that. So, that was great. I wish they'd bring that back. Yeah. So at the engineering school over there now, think about that. It's it's great. Well, my teacher, my mentor, uh, uh, Mr. LeMay, we actually built the aircraft. It's a fair big aircraft. I learned a lot about aircraft, Uh you know, so the left, the drag, thrust, and things like that. So, you know, I took interest in the aircraft a lot, which is the reason why, I guess, the Air Force thing just kind of connected. Right. So, yeah, because of that, that one uh, thing, right? It, uh, it, yeah, I was very, very interested in aviation. Uh-huh. You know, of course, you know, we did a lot of woodworking too. So, uh, you know, we, I built a Queen Anne cocktail table. Okay. Right. So, when I was, I guess it was in maybe 10th grade, uh-huh. sophomore year. So, yeah, you know, to this day, yeah, I do all the woodworking and things like that at home myself. Uh-huh. Right. Save money. <laughs> <laughs> and in aviation, I think I read in the notes that you sent me that. At a gas station, and it was strategically oh, yeah. located. Absolutely. Okay, it was a little piece Exxon station. Uh, great boss, mentor. I learned a tons of stuff from him, right? So, when I was going to, uh, to uh, you know, Jenkins, right? Uh, this was on Waters Avenue and Stevenson, uh-huh. small Exxon station there. Uh, P. Fowler uh, was the owner. Uh, gave me a chance to actually, you know, work there in the afternoons after school. So, you know, that was in middle 70s. So you, we had tons of Vietnam era, right? When all the, all the troops are coming back, you know, uh-huh. so we had 141, you know, lucky 141s coming over. Some fighters, you know, I mean, that was very, very interesting, you know, looking up very close with the landing gears down, with the engines roaring, right? So, you know... 
I like I like anything mechanic, right? That's I right. Remember, I'm a, I'm a fixer. <laughs> so you know, I really wanted to know how those jet engines work. So right. I said, I'm going to be a jet engine mechanic in the Air Force. Yeah. So yeah, Dusty GED Air Force. Right. You know. Right. But when I took the test, you know, how to score Japanese, score high in math. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, Senetsu, I think you'd be good at electronics. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest you go into electronics for you in the okay. Air Force. Right. I think we need you. That's okay. Right. Great. Right. So you enlisted, they put you, they put you there and uh, it wasn't everything you, you wanted it to be. Well, you know, uh, at, at that point, I was not a U.S. citizen yet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. So yeah, it was, it was kind of odd that uh, they were actually allowing me to join U.S. Air Force, not being a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I actually I received my natural, natural naturalization in 1979 while I was in the Air Force. Okay. So the, some of the career fields, you know, of course, yeah, I couldn't work on anything secret. Right. Okay, so I was a what they call automatic flight control specialist or uh, autopilot or cruise control for the aircraft. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, you, know, you know it's nothing, nothing classified. You know, it just keeps the uh, aircraft stabilized and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean that's all I worked on. You know, with our team members. Right. So my first uh, duty assignment was in Dias Air Force Base. Again, we had about 60, 60 130s. You know, so we maintained them. Yeah. I'm going to throw one out the left field at you because sure. you just kind of piqued my interest. Obviously, you're, you're talking about the 70s, so we're, we're a generation removed from World War II. Sure. Were there people that, that knew that you were from Japan and they were worried or skeptical or concerned? Did you face any of that? Oh, oh yeah. Of course I did. Uh, every time we ran an ad on like radio with a Japanese name, right. yeah, we did get a few comments. Right. You, you know, so my employees and I, I think we, we you know, pretty tight. So I, I overheard one of my employees when one of those calls would come in. It was kind of ugly call, mm. you know, and they said, well, you know, sir, this happens to be owned by, yes, Japanese native, mm-hmm. but he did serve in U.S. Air Force. Mm-hmm. He's a proud, patriotic person. Mm-hmm. He's willing to serve for you today. Mm-hmm. All right. So no worries. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. But, you know. Um, over the years, we you just have to develop a thick skin, right? Have you seen it though? Have you seen the the, the attitudes change? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, once you let them know that look, I served right, and uh, you know, and uh, they um, yeah, I think they come around, they come yeah, around, yeah. Right. So, you know, they know that uh, you know, for us at least, that we're creating a uh, local jobs, right? right? So, right. so yeah, it's, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. So you get out of the Air Force, you come home and then get hired at Gulfstream, or you got hired at Gulfstream to come home, or how did... Okay, so I got out in uh, 1981, August. Uh, I think uh, I think it was by late August, or so maybe first part of September, I was already hired. Right. You know, so all the experience that you get in, you know, Armed Forces, you know, which is great, you the young young guys listening. Yeah. That's a great option for you. Right. Uh, you know, Armed Forces, go out and serve your country. It's a good thing to do. I did it. Yeah. Gulfstream is Gulfstream still hires out of the military like absolutely like crazy. They, they I, I I used to work there, so I know the oh, okay. I know yeah. the message. You know that they're disciplined, they're they're highly skilled, uh, they're very conscientious and and quality assurance minded. Absolutely. And best thing that I ever did is working in the aircraft industry. 
because you know when you're in a maintenance or engineer or anything you don't get second second chance to make it right that's right right because you you're not going to kill someone yeah. if you're not doing it right so Gulfstream, world's number one premium aircraft company i love that company right you know it was a heavy decision for me to leave but uh but i felt that my path was uh you know owning a small business and serve the community you know i thought that was the best thing to do yeah, it's 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 funny you mentioned you know the whole idea of you know you got to get it right because you're going to kill somebody because yeah. when I was there I was friends with somebody who was pretty high up in the 650 program and, and he always said he said you know something goes wrong with the aircraft you don't pull over to the side of the road and fix it so I mean that's why they put all these redundancies in the aircraft too that way if one yeah. fails there's a there's a backup but uh, yeah it's just you, you know funny thing uh, I probably mentioned that probably at least once or twice a month mm-hmm. to my uh, to my staff. Uh, IT technicians. So, you know, my mice has always been aircraft. So all my business practices and all that, I have a primary goals and a secondary. Right. So we always prepare for the things. Right. So, but anyway, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, aircraft industry, number one, your mindset about the maintenance and how you operate, how you run your life is a great thing. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. So you're, you're working there. You moved to the gray yard shift to start your own business. What do you know at this point about starting a business? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the best thing in the world uh, to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. You know, you get to work half a day. Uh, so, you know, half 24 is 12. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> you, you know, so you have to kind of keep that in mind. It's a seven days a week, 24, you know, it's 24, 7, 365. Right. So if you want to be a business owner, just be prepared for it. Yeah. You know what? It's very rewarding. Yeah. All right. So at times, uh, you're the last one to get paid. That's right. You know, make sure you, you may not get paid. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I could show you my uh, pay stubs. It looks very, very hard. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we reinvest right back into the company in a uh, community. Like, uh, you know, mentioned, we do fiber. So like I said, we make a buck. We buy one foot of uh, fiber. We bury it. Bury it. Yeah, for future growth. Nineteen eighty four, though, you served in the Air Force. You've you've worked in basically on the assembly line, pulling wire. Did you have that time? I was in service center. Service center. Yeah, as a lead person. Did you have any kind of real concept of what it took to build a business, or was it all kind of trial and error? Oh no, gosh, you know. it's amazing how much you don't know, mm-hmm. right? So where you think you know. So there's one uh, one thing you have to do is, you know, keep, keep an open mind, right? Be patient. Um, but I don't know if the audience really knows, but if you're ever thinking about going into business, there's uh, tons of resources here in Savannah. You have small uh, business, business assistance corporation. Uh, they're, they're right there on Liberty Street. They're mm-hmm. 111 Liberty Street. Mm-hmm. And within uh, within that organization, there is a um, uh, score, service score of retired right. executives. So in 1984, I just set up an appointment with one of those persons and just sat and chat. And, uh, you know, of course, these are the retired executives, uh, you know, kind of ran their own business. And I learned tons, tons of stuff from them. Yeah. So, you know, I felt like I did all the right things in the beginning, but believe me, you're going to make more mistakes right. uh, before you succeed. So don't ever quit. Right. I never did. Right. Yeah. What were some of the, the early obstacles that you had to 
to really overcome to get it rolling? Oh gosh, you know, funding, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's like uh, you know, little things like uh, when you, you know, when you if, if you ever, you know, when you go out there and rent a you know, like a home, right? So now we had to rent a place because it was a retail place, right? So having to deal with the uh, property managers or you know landlords uh, signing agreements, contracts. Oh, you know, you need phones. You know, uh, you know, back then there were no internet, so you know, they have to worry about that. Just the phones, you know, just make sure that rings right. Then you know, this used to be a thing called yellow pages, right? Uh-huh. So you know, you had to get those, uh, you know, uh, get you know, advertising and things like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a capital intensive thing. So you have to kind of prepare yourself for all that. So uh, prepare yourself to spend money. You have to budget it and things like that. But folks at the SBAC uh, score and uh, the Small Business Development Center within that same building, uh, they'll help you. They'll help you write business plans and things like that. So I will highly encourage everyone thinking about going to business to do that. We interrupt this Difference Makers interview with Seimitsu Sam Cook to tell you about the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real Difference Maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. You may have seen where a highly respected trade journal named the Savannah area the number one locale for economic development in the country among like-sized markets. That standing is a credit to the folks at CETA who have and are pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CEDA.org. That's S-E-D-A.org. Now, back to the discussion with Sam Cook. What's your initial product? What do you start with, and then how does it kind of, the scope, evolve over time? Well, that's one thing about technology, right? So if you stuck if you, if you stick to a single technology, you're going to go out of business. So you have to keep your mind open to changes. Right? It's a constant change. So I'm thinking about things that uh, we are, we're going to be offering maybe 12 months from now, maybe two years, you know, five years. You know, I feel like, I like to say I have a plan all the way up to 10 years. But, you know, that's, that's some kind of, you know, that's something else uh, in the future. But uh, the first thing is, as a technology business owner, we actually really had to, um, uh, you know, uh, adapt to changes, you know, leave the past alone, right? If I didn't, I would still be selling floppy disk disks, right? <laughs> well, that's what it was at one point. You were selling floppy disks. Of course. <laughs> we sold tons of those uh, 10 quantity, five and a quarter inch, you know, 170K on the one side, uh, you, you know, Density uh, floppy disk disks. Right. Yeah, we saw a lot of those. Right. Yeah, right. we don't need more. <laughs> well, yeah, very they're probably collector's items. Oh, now. Yeah, I still have them. <laughs> <laughs> that pace of technology, I mean, certainly it accelerates at an accelerated pace every year. But when you look back from 2021 to 1984, is it just kind of blow your mind at how it's evolved and, and how do you keep up? Yeah, that's. Uh, Wow, you, you know, for me, to be honest, because things kind of happens, you don't really realize that until you sit down and just kind of look back in the past, yeah. just to see where you've been. Yeah. So although a lot of my staff members are, 
you know, I like to keep the place very, very clean, but I kind of like to keep all the legacy stuff. Right. So if you ever were to come in my uh, conference room, you'll see the old 20 bag hard drives, uh, maybe even some of those floppy disk games. Yeah. Or even the the first Windows uh, network version, the uh, 286, right. Nobel, uh, you know, things on, on the, and the Intel guys, right, on our shelves. I mean, that's just a reminder of, for me at least, how, you know, where we've been, where we're going. And what's so exciting about it is, you know, just unknown, right? So I have no idea what's going to happen in five years. That's I right. just know that we're going to have tons more fiber. And we're gonna be doing tons of cool stuff. That's right. You know, so yeah. Yeah, I, I chuckle. Funny. I chuckle. My wife, my daughter's 16, born in 2005, and thinking to myself, <laughs> I think that is right around when the iPhone came out. Right. right. And you think about how quickly sure. that, that we've gone from and then of course even I grew up and there was no yeah. internet and sure. and and you were around when there was no personal computers, right? It was uh, it, well, you know, uh well, yeah, IBM came out with the, uh, you know, because I, I actually started out, uh, started the business supporting Apple, uh-huh. right, the old 6502 processor. So that was kind of fun. It, you know, then, the, you know, IBM right, came out with their uh, PC, dual floppy disk goods, you know, with, uh, so, you know, this is future. Fiber obviously is is big part of your future. You know, that I think the, the barriers to entry there, I don't know that a lot of people understand that for especially for a for a local company, you're you're competing for internet connectivity with the big boys, Comcast, AT&T, uh, Hargrave, of course, sure. is is a little bit smaller scale, but still pretty big company. When you decided to go ahead and, and jump in on that end, what were some of the things you thought, okay? Obviously, I need some funding. I've got to, you know, I'm going to be big. I'm going to be digging up streets, so I've got to work the right. with the municipalities and the counties. And can you kind of walk us through going into that side of the business? Yeah, sure. Uh, I cheated. <laughs> I uh, we bought the existing network, uh, so they had about maybe ten miles of occupied fiber uh-huh. going from Westham County to uh, Victory Drive uh-huh. uh, near Skidaway, uh-huh. oh, one of the cell sites. It was one of the uh, wireless carrier uh, sites. So he had that. And I, I guess it was, yeah, about 10 miles of occupied fiber, about another eight miles of empty dump. Okay. So um, it was locally owned, you know, so they served just wireless, you know, you know towers and all that. So, it, you know, at that time I was doing, uh, buying, you know, tons of circuits from AT&T, you know, to serve our customers. But, uh, but you, you know, uh, to control your own destiny, you have to own your own network, uh-huh. right? So I consider ourselves a kind of boutique shop. Uh-huh. So we actually built our network really for the carriers, right? Uh-huh. So we now have some of these for uh, wireless customers. We have like about 28 to 30 sites in downtown area that uh, so instead of serving a lot of these tall sales sites, uh-huh. these are small Small sites, you know, like 5G type of things. So, you know, they're, they're all over downtown. So we, we provide fibers for that. So, you know, that kind of gave us a little bit of money to actually continue to build, uh-huh. right? And of course, you know, you go to your bank and you, know, you go to your credit union and just get, you know, just a little bit of money. Uh-huh. A uh, kind of project-based build, right? And you do that. 
Um, and you work with some of the other companies, like we have one global company. Um, it's very well known. I can't say the name, but you know they're huge. So they bought, or they they're leasing fiber from us, right? So they made a one-time payment. Well, guess where that went? Mm-hmm. They took that money, bought more fiber, and reinvested. Yeah. Still digging up the streets, right. you know, stuffing it. And our fiber is really, really not unique. But where we deploy it, it's, it's kind of unique in how we offer it to the customers. So we have, you know, several medical clients, you know, with those several different multiple sites and all that. So, you know, with the today's uh, cyber threats and all that, well, it's all coming from the internet, right? And some of it, you know, it's from the internal. But what we do is we provide a private dedicated fiber to some of these multiple sites, mm-hmm. right? So it's the endpoints of building the building. Right. So, well, uh, unless you are a super secret Russian spy or something like that, you may not be able to get to it, right? So when the traffic's are in, uh, encrypted between the two, so we'll tie all the multiple sites together and we provide them with the in and out or egress and ingress out of that central location that which they could control and inspect all the packets that's coming out of it. So a lot of those traffic you're not, is not traversing over the internet. Uh, so, you know, they could run all their voice traffic, all their video traffic, all the security and everything else through it. So I think, you know, it's, uh, that's kind of unique offering. Uh, anybody, anybody could do it. We just have the flexibility of making it happen very quickly, right? right? And, yeah, we could uh, we could basically turn on a dime, you know, so if customer needs something, yeah, we can make that happen pretty quickly. And entering your own network means you also you have you can serve the client. You're basically end to end in terms of anybody that's that's, oh, yeah. that's with you. You don't have to do any kind of outsource here and outsource there. You, well, you, you know, once we lease Vanna, uh, we have several different partnership with different, all the carriers and all that. So yeah, if they, you know, if one, uh, yeah, we, we do have several uh, clients outside of Savannah, right? So. Uh, we connect all those sites, you know, uh, through other partners like at and you know, Comcast, or any one of the bigger, you know, uh, global providers. So, yeah, we could uh, we could take the customer on their private network. Right. England, Japan. Right. Wherever they want to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested in that because I obviously I knew one of the strengths of fiber mm-hmm. is the security and the, exactly. and the, the point-to-point. But the whole idea of using fiber to connect the, the wireless towers and, and and part of the wireless network, because ultimately that's probably where when we talk about the future, it's probably eventually going all wireless. So is is it important to have your business part of your business in that wireless sphere or sphere? How does that help? Well, you know, a lot of the wireless towers are fed by fiber anyway, right? So wireless would not occur if it wasn't for fiber, right? So. Higher the frequency in wireless, much much shorter distance, right? So it's not like the old radio days where you talk on the CB radio, HF radio around the world. They're much lower frequency. So and when you uh, much much higher uh, higher frequency, much more capacity. When you're pushing gig, ten gig over wireless, well, you know, it's, you got to do that over a fiber. So in other words, all your base stations. At the foot of the towers, you, you'll see fiber entrance. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Does fiber make it so that that wireless network can evolve a little bit? So maybe we don't need as many towers, or or is that completely unrelated in terms of if you get more fiber, does it help? Well, I mean, most of the okay. So they're the main hub sites, right? Uh, typically, they're actually fed by fiber. You know, sometimes they'll do microwave shots to you know remote 
fiber where there's not one available. But uh, yeah, they, they were like, you know, they would love to build that. And we do the same thing with the business customers too. You know, so what we do is we may feed their uh, building with a fiber, but they may want to reach out to another building. Uh, you know, we do over wireless. But in fact, uh, if you ever watched the SpongeBob 2 movie, Oh, that's right. You know, filmed here. Well, there you go. So, yeah, we actually uh, fed uh, all the contents on a daily uh, to Hollywood using our wireless network from one building to another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they just need the capacity to actually push it back to Hollywood, right? For today's editing studio. So, yeah, that's kind of what we did. We, we did. We, uh, we helped out the movie industry. Again, you are listening to a conversation with Seimitsu Sam Cook. While he takes a short break, I have a call to action for you. Subscribe to savannahnow.com. Our website is the best place to keep up with community news, sports, and yes, opinion makers. And right now, you can get six months access for $6. I'm no mathematician, but that works out to $1 a month. I didn't even have to use my smartphone calculator for that one. It's a pretty good deal. Go to savannahnow.com or download our app and see our product for yourself and hit the subscribe button to get full access. Now, back to the Difference Makers interview. I want to go really deep a, a little bit mm-hmm. later about sure. fiber and internet networks and, and everything because I think most people, we know there's a lot of things coming in our internet oh, yeah. in our houses and our business going to get better. But before we do that, I wanted to kind of want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about some of uh, the new initiatives you've got going on. I know IT Managed Service is something that, that is a real focus for you right now. In what way? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would say about 60% of our business is healthcare. Mm-hmm. So we manage a lot of the larger practices around Savannah, not the large hospitals, but the smaller regional hospitals, right? So we're their IT, you know, so we kind of basically do everything technology for the hospital. We'll staff it with our own employees, you know, so not only the computer maintenance, server maintenance, and all that type of stuff, you know, handle their phones, all their wireless network, and things like that. At, at times, security, you know, things like that. Uh, so, and and all their, you know, uh, HIPAA security, high tech audits, and, you know, so we have to manage, manage through all that, you know, so... We also in logistics space also, you know, we connect multiple, uh, you know, where, you know, warehouses together to, you know, help, you know, help them with, uh, you know, logistics today, it's not like the world warehouse uh, of the past, right? So what they'll do is they'll bring in a lot of these uh, raw materials, or I guess not raw materials, but sub-assemblies, and they'll put them together and they ship them out uh, to where the uh, customers need them, you know, so... Yeah, we, uh, you know, uh, we like being part of it, you know, because of uh, because of our connectivity to wherever they need to go. You, know, so. you mentioned security. Cybersecurity is a oh, big yeah, topic in today's world. I mean, it, it, we talk about things that are going to change and evolve sure. is, is the aggressiveness of ransomware and, and other hackers is is on the rise and is only going to continue. What are some of the challenges for, for you, as a, certainly as an owner of a network, in terms of, of cybersecurity and where do you see it going? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, things that, uh, you know, these are the things that kind of keeps you up at night, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a constant battle between good and bad, good and evil, if you want to talk. You know, we work with, uh, you know, FBI's Crime Lab, uh, Cyber Crimes Division up in Atlanta, too, at, at times. Since we're uh, ISP and service provider, you know, they'll give us a call every once in a while to 
tell us that uh, certain customers may not be behaving well, right? Uh, because of all this uh, cyber initiative, we did just bring on a uh, certified chief security officer with many, many, many credentials. And we'll probably start introducing that particular person, uh, our staff member to a lot of our customers. Just a survey, you know, not only in a technology, not in a, just the computers, but the physical security too. You know, mm-hmm. so entrance, mm-hmm. you know, of course, cameras and things like that. But just their security you know, posture, you know, their company's security posture. Just, we just want to review it. We want to help them write it and things like that. So, yeah, it's the biggest part right now. It's a big part of our business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that up. It's a, yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. How scared should we be? <laughs> uh, well, you know, because of guys, uh, because of the guys like us, right? It's uh, I don't sleep well. Right. <laughs> right? I sleep in shifts. Right. But uh, uh, but it's a constant threat. If I were to show you a couple of logs that may be coming in from Eastern Europe and China, right. uh, yeah, you know, you see these things in the movie where you know. Uh, you see people just, you know, got tracing things out. Right, right. Yeah, like it's easy, right? Like yeah. Uh, yeah, we had one customer that's, you know, just emailed me and said, hey, uh, what is this IP address? Da, 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 da. I said, okay, now don't use our internet to try to do a trace. Right, so I did it from my home internet provider, which is not ours. So, yeah, I ended up in Beijing, China, uh, right? And, uh, yeah, and uh, and. Within about 20 seconds, I think that trace disappeared because I think they knew that we were yeah, onto yeah. them. They shut it down. But yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's really like the, uh, you know, the movies, but, uh, but it's a, like I say, it's a constant battle, you know, so. Be yeah, careful so. what you open in your email. Oh, yeah. Be careful what sites you visit and don't fall for any. Absolutely. For the audience. Okay. Crazy. You didn't win a million dollars. Okay. <laughs> so. Uh, the, get, uh, some yeah. king, some deposed yeah, king exactly. in Africa is exactly. not going to give okay. you, you know, a share right. of his money, so, $200. Yeah, if you're not <laughs> expecting it, delete it. Or just, uh, you know, just a common sense type thing, right? So if you get this email, just uh, just call the other party. Just ask them, hey, did you send this big uh, file, images, uh, links to, uh, yeah, just call them up. Yeah. You know, uh, if you don't know, just delete them. Yeah. It's the best thing you That's can do. That's probably the easiest thing. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I want to spend the balance talking about uh, internet networks and, okay. and fiber. And I know sure. that, that your network has grown to something like 70 miles. It's, it's stretching around the County. Of course, mm-hmm. we know Hargray has seen a, a tremendous amount of growth with, with their fiber and their network. Uh, Comcast and AT&T are here, have been here a long time. I, I right. think Comcast is, and correctly if I'm wrong, still largely broadband based. Yeah. Coax. Yeah. Coax. How, right. First of all, what is what are the, the can you compare and contrast coax versus fiber? And um, are we going to see a day when fiber? And I, you mentioned you, you mentioned earlier working with a big thing. I'm guessing that that you didn't want to say it, but I'm guessing that's probably Google because I know Google's really into fiber. Which which direction are we going in terms of of those kind of connections? Well, you know, you know, uh, there are no, you know, we, we talk about in technology end of life, right? So we don't really see that with fiber. Right, so it's a medium, it's a glass. Okay, so you know, at uh, you pass traffic at like uh, speed of light, and it's like the thick of a hair, right? Yeah, Whereas coax is coax is small, but yeah, it's copper, right? So there are some frictions there, so you have to regenerate, right? So, 
with fiber, uh, the things that we're using today, um, just for best, uh, I don't want to say best effort or anything like that for home, we have optics, meaning uh, these are generated, right? Just the light. We could take it uh, 30 clicks, 30 kilometers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 18 miles, mm-hmm. right? Without regenerating, right? We have some that would do 40 kilometers, even higher. So that means your, your, your speed is exponentially higher. Absolutely. In distance, yeah. You, you know, with a single fiber, we could uh, push today 10 gig, right? 40 gig in the future and 100 gig. You know, so there are some optics out there would do 100 gigs and, and more. All right. So, I mean, you mentioned Google. Uh, I mean, those, some of those guys are doing, uh, you know, it's mind boggling. Yeah. They're drawing it yeah. in certain cities right now. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. How much pressure does that put on other people in the industry to say, okay, well, fiber is where it's at, but I've invested millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions to build out all these coaxial networks over the last yeah. up teen years. How quickly does it move to fiber and, and how are they keeping up? Yeah, you know, everybody's moving over the fiber. You know, if they're not, if they're not doing fiber today, um, if, if, I, I don't think any, any, uh, no one's going to be uh, maintaining coax or copper infrastructure like a DSL or something like that. I know they're changing everything over the fiber. Well, you know, of course, you know what Elon's doing with, the, you know, space, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh, yeah, with the satellites, right? Yeah, the satellites, right? And, uh, yeah, he's a little bit lower with orbit, so, you know, latency is much, much better than the... 23,500 miles, you know, an area with a huge network and all that. In um, you know, a wireless providers like a Verizon, T-Mobile, you know, they're doing their, uh, with the 5G deployments, mm-hmm. you know, their speed is pretty decent, you know, but it's all fed by fiber, you know? So yeah, we, uh, we chose to invest only in fiber, right? And although we do some wireless stuff too. Right. right so. How long into the future before me on Wilmington Island or somebody else on the South side, can jack into a fiber optic network and have that much more speed and bandwidth. Oh, good news is we have plenty of that uh, bill now for the South side and Wilmington Island. Yeah. Right. So, well, it's not this year. Right. right. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, a good thing about us is that uh, we do work with the city of Savannah and uh, we do a lot of build outs for the Chatham County too. And uh, so, you know, I feel like we want to be a partner. Right. And, uh, just recently, FCC gave us uh, about 31 census block groups, which is really underserved, you know, area. And uh, we'll be you know, within the next, you know, you know, several years, we'll be building those, uh, you know, those areas in South, South Side Savannah, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Uh, and Wilmington Island is is one of those target places. Fiber optic less expensive than others? Do we see price eventually coming down once the initial investment yeah, is Yeah, it's right now, you know, our price is, you know, a bit high, I think, you know, because of all the construction costs and all that. But uh, yeah, eventually, uh, you know, I would love to see a uh, fiber pricing at a gig level, you know, around 70 to $80, you know, okay. for the home and something a bit more, uh, you know, a bit affordable for business. Uh, and, you know, we, and what we do is we add voice and all that kind of stuff on top of that. But yeah, I like to see those numbers. Mm. You know, so. Demand, of course, has been, it just grows over time. But over the last year with COVID and a lot of people working from home, yeah. more people streaming, not going out. How, what is, how has that changed the math in terms of, of demand for, for what you're providing? Well, you know, it's, it's very encouraging. Like right now, you know, we're building a lot of our fiber optic network for the small businesses, right? So, 
Yeah, we do have our goals uh, for residential, right? Uh, I know we're going to need additional uh, support staff and all that. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not our target. I was hoping to start the residential bill before the COVID, but, you know, that kind of stopped everything for us, right? Because we had a pivot. No, we didn't know what was going to happen. Well, fascinating, fascinating stuff. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing. And like I'm gonna, as soon as you get the residential on Wilmington Island, absolutely, I'll call you. Sign first. me up. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Okay. That's all for this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to Sumitsu's Sam Cook for being our latest guest. Thanks also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah State President Kimberly Bauer-Washington, Chatham Emergency Management Agency Chelsea Sawyer, and Savannah Police Chief Roy Minter. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. On behalf of myself and producer Zach Dennis, Thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.